0: This week on The Roast Podcast, Chef Nick DeCaro of Island Style Food helps us break down the origins, meanings, and misconceptions about fusion food. Foodie language might have you thinking that fusion food is at odds with authentic cultural cuisine, but the way our cultural recipes evolve, be it through adaptation or appropriation, necessity or ingenuity, can be surprisingly complex and surprisingly delicious. I'm Kristen Birch, and this is The Roast Podcast.
1: The Roast is brought to you by the Whitworth University Master of Arts in Administrative and Nonprofit Leadership, preparing leaders, educators, and organizers for a better future. Attend classes in the evening and complete your degree in two years. Discover more at www.whitworth.edu.
0: This week I sat down with Nick DeCaro owner and head chef of island style food here in Spokane to talk about fusion food. Nick's food truck offers a stunning menu of Asian fusion dishes, some you might recognize and many you might be experiencing for the first time. They all come from Nick's rich history and experience with food as a multi-ethnic chef who learned to cook using the recipes and cultural traditions of what he calls his fusion family.
1: So I'm actually half Italian, which most people don't know. My last name's DiCaro. My mom's uh, maiden name is San Nicolas, and it's a really big name on the island of Guam. Um, I am quarter Filipino and quarter Chamorro, it's like the tribe on Guam, and then half Italian. I actually grew up in a huge Italian restaurant that my parents started. Uh, It was about 10,000 square feet, pizzeria, deli, gift shop, bakery, lounge, just the whole works. So the food industry has kind of always been in my blood. Uh, I've always had a appreciation for food and a love for food. I played a lot growing up in it, cooking and watching other people cook. and Just always had interest, um, not knowing that eventually I'd be doing my own thing.
0: When did you first start cooking?
1: Very early teens. I mean, I... Would help my mom with different things in the kitchen. Never really baking, more just cooking. But I'd start to play around on my own because I had, you know, a huge walk-in cooler that was like a grocery store and a huge walk-in freezer. So I had access where most kids don't. So I got to pick and choose whatever I wanted and just play. And so it was really neat to be able to... <laughs> have that experience where I can go shopping 10 feet away and then go make whatever I want.
0: Where did you find the ingredients you needed for your family recipes?
1: I'm 41, so I have been around since before internet, and <laughs> before cell phones, where now you can find anything. Uh, when we had our Italian restaurant, we had to drive to Seattle once a month and up to Canada to get Italian products. The same still holds true for a lot of Asian products. Even though there's Asian markets here, when you're looking for specific items, it's very difficult. So I still am going to Seattle again, um, as there's a lot more Asian distributors there. So it was difficult both times. Um, For me, most ingredients were already at home from my mom personally on the Asian side. And the restaurant, I could get whatever I wanted from the Italian side, so...
0: And now you have a food truck where you serve Asian fusion food. Where does the inspiration for those recipes come from?
1: I would consider myself fusion to start. I mean, I am a mix of cultures, you know, Filipino, Chamorro, Italian, and there's actually a Chinese in there also. (laughs) Um, So for me, it's like I was already influenced by many different flavors and seasonings and ways of cooking things. And when you grow up around that, you see a lot of similarities with the processes and how things are done and what flavors complement each other, those types of things. So for me, fusion isn't necessarily about the culture in itself. It's about the flavor profiles and how they can connect and complement each other. And a lot of the... Recipes that are traditional cultural recipes that people have on the Philippines or people have on Italy. They're so different from each other in the sense that it's the resources that are available, Mm -hmm. right? So, our resources here in the United States are obviously a little better than a lot of countries because we're spoiled and we have access to a lot more. So, there's a lot of distribution of it. So, while I might have to drive to Seattle to get some products. I have that availability. People in the Philippines, they can't go to Italy and just pick up stuff because they want to make Italian food.
0: Coincidentally, our previous episode was about spam, and specifically the recipes that developed during times of scarcity, when spam was a widely available ingredient distributed in care packages by the United States. And these were not, at the time, considered high-end foods, but they kind of worked their way into being an integral part of recipes that we now associate with those cultures.
1: So being a spam lover and the background that I have and growing up with it, um, I obviously have a lot of cousins and family still in the Philippines and on Guam and a lot of people that follow us at the food truck and that I follow back and a lot of different mixed cultures that... No, have appreciation for spam. A lot of them, and that's when they said they knew there was a pandemic when they couldn't find spam at the stores. (laughs) So it's interesting you talk about spam. Um, Spam masubi is very popular in Hawaii, and that is a perfect example of what fusion food is. Most people, when they think of spam masubi, they think of it being Hawaiian. Masubi is actually a Japanese word. (laughs) You know, it's, it's uh, a rice ball with fermented vegetables or meat inside of it with furikake, which is like a season on the outside. Um, and then, of course, spam is American sent for the soldiers. So when you start putting these things together, you have masubi, which is fusion and, you know, taken over by the lions as one of their uh, popular items. Uh, I love it myself. We do have it on our truck. We also make it with red rice, which is from Guam. And people really tend to love it.
0: So even though it's a familiar food item for a lot of people, your recipe probably catches a lot of them off guard when they try it for the first time.
1: Um, I think that that plays a lot into the way people think, right? If you think something's bad at it- it's going to be bad to you. If you think something's good, is going to be good to you. It's all about, you know, how people view things.
0: Spam is a great example of fusion food that's born out of necessity based on what's available to you at the time and adapting recipes because you have to. But being privileged as we are in the United States and having more abundant access to ingredients, how is the process different when developing a recipe purely for the creativity and innovation of it?
1: So I'm actually an artist and have an artist background. I'm double majoring in art administration and three-dimensional art. I started off as a painter. And fusion food for me and traditional foods are a lot like art. So if you have a classroom that's full of students and you say, paint this pot, every single student could have the same brush, the same paints, and it's all going to be different. The same holds true, like, if you have a traditional food item. Let's say, um, pencil. it's That's the Filipino uh, noodle dish. Well, there's a million different ways we could give everybody the exact same ingredients. You can even give them measuring cups and scales, and it's still going to taste different. So, in that same sense, I think that... Uh, It's a matter of, for me, like I said, not necessarily I'm mixing this culture with this culture. It's that I'm bringing together this flavor from this flavor that happened to come from these cultures. And I try not to just randomly pick flavors that are from somewhere and say, oh, I should try and do something with this. I try and most things I've already tried. (laughs) And that's when I, I taste something and I say, wow, that's really good. And then I think about the other flavors that I'm familiar with and how they could pair with it. So I don't necessarily have an end goal in mind, just like sometimes with my art.
0: Do you ever surprise yourself with uh, an accidental masterpiece?
1: Right now, we actually have spam or tem- or tofu tempura tacos. So these tacos are created with uh, tatia, which is a Chamorro tortilla that was Spanish-influenced. We actually, um, it has uh, coconut flavors in it. We actually switched it to completely vegan coconut milk to have that availability for people. Then we do your choice of the tempura. We do a um, sweet pickled daikon carrot relish, cilantro, and a habanero orange zest sauce on it. So when you break it down, you have the Spanish influence, you have Chamorro, you have the American Spam, you have the Japanese tempura, you have Vietnamese pickled daikon carrot rush. I mean, there's just this huge thing that comes together, and the flavor profiles just work. It works amazing, and it's been very popular. It's supposed to be a one-time thing we were just trying, and, and we've been going on four or five weeks now.
0: When you combine so many different regional elements like that, what is the response that you get from other chefs in the local Asian food scene?
1: Well, I haven't really had any negative responses. I've had people hesitant to try certain things because they're used to the way mom cooks. And I'm definitely not trying to compare with mom because mom always cooks the best. But once people try my food... They're always pleasantly surprised or amazed with some of the things that I've come up with. And for me, the honor is more seeing people's face and seeing them smile. You know, so our logo for the truck is Island Style is a lifestyle of building community through the universal language of food. Because food is a universal language. Everybody eats, everybody likes to eat good food sometimes some bad food, <laughs> uh, but that's what it is. It's it's bringing this uh, universality together and enjoying it.
0: Do you find you get the same positive reaction from your non-Asian customers who might be used to a very standardized, Americanized version of Asian food, which a lot of the time they think is authentic Asian food?
1: Well, I think whether it comes down to traditional food or fusion food, that I'm serving a lot of times it can be unexpected unless it's someone who's been in the military and went to the Philippines or any of the Pacific Islands because a lot of the Pacific Islands have similarities in foods and flavors a lot of Spanish influence from back when Um, but I think that we've had very good responses and I think people are amazed because even if they have tried Americanized versions the flavors are definitely different Um, And I think part of that is, again, the access to different ingredients, uh, resources, that kind of thing. We've definitely done our due diligence in putting together connections. Uh, We actually get some items straight from the Philippines.
0: Do you ever feel pressure to Americanize your menu to capture that particular audience?
1: You know, honestly, this might sound a little bad, but I'm not... Thinking about anybody else except what I would like. Because I would never serve anything to anybody that I wouldn't like. So I've never really cooked with tofu much until about eight months ago. And I realized the uh, spreading popularity of being vegan or vegetarian. And I've really tried to pay attention to those things and see how with traditional foods and fusion foods I can have these options still available for people. You know there's so many things gluten-free, diabetic, you know it's it's hard to appeal to such a massive audience, but it's nice to at least have some options so that families can come and enjoy whatever.
0: And it makes sense that people would seek out fusion foods if they have some kind of dietary restriction because they're looking for adaptations and unique twists on recipes. Infusion food seems like a style that can adapt really quickly to those needs, but who would you say is your target demographic?
1: Our biggest demographic that we actually hit is female population. 25 to 35 is one bracket, and then 35 to 45 is the next bracket. We do have ranges from babies all the way up to, you know, grandparents, but that seems to be where our biggest following is and we get the most attention.
0: Well, I fall in that bracket, and you certainly have my attention. It's clear that people really love what you do. And I wonder, when you create recipes at the intersection of multiple cultural traditions, do you ever question how those changes to recipes impact the cultures that they come from?
1: For me, it's if I'm sharing that knowledge, and I almost, not that I'm obligated but feel the sense of pride to be able to share all these different cultures. I don't necessarily think that it's taken away from any culture or it's offending any culture. If anything, I think it's you know putting it on a pedestal, like you have some great things, you guys are amazing. Like I love it, I wanna use it because it's so good. Um, so for me, it's more of an honor thing than it is a negative thing.
0: I'm glad you feel that way, because that means I get to enjoy a lot of diverse menus, and I benefit from that directly as the consumer. But there are obviously chefs and creatives in the world who feel differently about that. And as with many other things in our culture, we are constantly asking ourselves where our consumer habits fall on the spectrum of appreciation to appropriation. It sounds like you view what you do as a sincere act of appreciation.
1: A lot of times when I come up with ideas, I discuss things with people, I discuss ideas. One of my friends in the food industry, um, a fellow fellow Filipino, told me, you know, it's a rough industry getting into it. He said, because there is both sides, and he does fusion as well. And he said, just be you and do what you do, because no matter what, you're going to be different. And he said, and if people appreciate your your food, they're gonna come. If they don't, they're not. And that's the reality with everything. Some people love McDonald's, some people don't, right? I mean, people there's always you can't make everybody happy, but I'd love to. <laughs> so far yeah, I haven't had any complaints.
0: And that seems natural for you. You said you self-identify as coming from a quote unquote fusion family. Uh, being someone that lives their entire life at the intersection of multiple ethnic and cultural backgrounds, do you think that that kind of identity is a requirement to experiment with the food traditions of different cultures?
1: Well, I think anybody's kind of free to do what they like, right? I mean, that's what our country is. And some people cook macaroni and cheese and it's terrible, and some people cook it and it's good. I'll keep eating the good one and not the bad one. Um, I think that if people don't know what they're doing, you know, they have to live with that food that they make. I don't necessarily have to.
0: So it certainly helps to have lived experience with the cultural traditions. So at least you know what you're doing before you experiment.
1: Absolutely. I mean, without naming places, there's places in town who say they're from certain places and they may have traveled there once a vacation, but when I go there, I know they're not who they say they are. I'm 41 years old and I've had 24, 25 plus years experience in the industry and kitchen. So I think that does play a major role in it in being able to pick some flavors that mix with others. That doesn't mean I don't fail with things, I try not to serve those things, <laughs> but uh, it, it, I think it does make it easier for me to, to be able to create things.
0: Are there any essential first steps to trying your hand at fusion cooking for the first time?
1: I, I don't necessarily know that there's a first step, but I think you're going to have obstacles with any type of cooking whether it's cooking traditional, whether it's cooking fusion. So I think you have to have perseverance. I mean, you can either look at it as an obstacle or you can look at it as a complete roadblock. And I've always tend to look at things as something I have to learn from or figure out a way around it. And that just comes with it. It comes with creating. I mean, anything you create, you're going to have some issues and, you know, It's a matter of how can I make those issues better. Um, One of my art teachers a long time ago told me all artists make mistakes, especially the good ones. But the good ones learn how to cover up their mistakes. So I hold that in life in general.
0: I think that's a great philosophy for art, food, and life. And we really appreciate you sharing your story with us today, Nick. You can find Nick's food truck, Island Style Food, on Facebook and at islandstylefood.com. I'm Kristen Birch, and this has been The Roast Podcast.
1: The Roast is brought to you by the Whitworth University Master of Arts in Administrative and Nonprofit Leadership. Preparing leaders, educators, and organizers for a better future. Attend classes in the evening and complete your degree in two years. Discover more at www.witworth.edu.